Hello, I'm David Canzeri from Atlanta, Georgia, and we're in New Orleans at the American College of Cardiology Scientific Sessions. With me are Bob Harrington from Durham, North Carolina, and Laura Mori from Boston, Massachusetts, two longstanding colleagues and clinical trialists and interventional cardiologists. And our purpose is to discuss the Excellent Trial, which has been presented at these scientific sessions. The Excellent Trial, as you both know, was a study of about 1,400, well, specifically 1,443 patients who were evenly randomized to the Zion stent versus the Cypher stent for coronary revascularization. This was a trial that was initially intended to evaluate late lumen loss, and those data have been previously presented. But the investigators took this study one step further, and by secondary randomization, they compared six months versus 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy. Uh, today in the investigation, these, the report is that there are no real differences um, between the outcomes at 6 and 12 months, whether patients were taking a, a more what we might call abbreviated versus longer-term antiplatelet therapy, and uh, evaluating an outcome of target vessel failure and then secondary attention to outcomes like stent thrombosis. Bob, are findings like this, understanding no differences between 6 and 12 months, are some, something like this directive of clinical practice? Well. Let me be very careful as I answer this. When I hear somebody say there's no difference, I always remind them that uh, you know, the failure to see a difference is not the same as there being no difference. Yeah. And uh, this, uh, this was an interesting question, clearly an important question to ask the more abbreviated uh, term of therapy versus the longer. But I would be cautious as to whether or not we should automatically change pra uh, practice here because the size of the trial is limited and it does suffer from the problem of being underpowered for, uh, for a comparison of non-inferiority that would include pretty tight margins, the kind of thing I think we'll get to with Laura tri Laura's trial that we would feel more comfortable with. So in that way, Laura, is this more an extension rather than an advancement on, on, on moving the needle to help discern when and if it's safe to stop antiplatelet therapy? Well, I think it's, you know, I think as Bob said, it's, it's, it's trying to get at what we think is a really important question. How, when do we feel safe stopping antiplatelet therapy? Um, that being said, um, it provides us a little bit of reassurance, but not sufficient, I think. Um, you know, having a composite endpoint where most of the events are going to be revascularization rather than um, the things that we're primarily concerned with, with antiplatelet therapy being cardiac death or myocardial infarction or stent thrombosis, it's a, it's a practical decision when you have a smaller trial, um, but it doesn't tell us, are we preventing stent thrombosis or are we preventing uh, myocardial events that happen outside the stented segment? Um, I think that there are questions on both ends of the spectrum. Can we shorten therapy or can we lengthen therapy? Or do we need to lengthen therapy? And to that point, Laura, one of the other issues is probably, I think we would agree in clinical practice, it's not, is there some predetermined date that we should stop thenopyridine therapy, but when is it safe to do so, right? Mm -hmm. sure. And so to that point, Bob, what's the, uh, we know that we have a guideline recommendations of 12 months, and in some ways that was a derived from uh, the FDA panel meeting of uh, understanding of, of concerns of very late stent thrombosis based on pharmacologic trials of extended therapy. But where is the science here between 6, 12, and 18 months or whatever? What are the appropriate durations you feel we should be studying? It, it, it's a tough question. You know, the guidelines have been written in a way to reflect what I'll call is the lesser quality of the evidence. And we have no randomized clinical trial data that says we should go for some specified period of time. 
as you rightly point out, the main reason we started having extended periods of um, dual antiplatelet therapy in the DES setting was because that's what we did in the studies of DES. Um, then we had the observational data which suggested that there was this um, accumulation of late stent thrombosis and it appeared that that was mitigated some uh, or less amongst the groups of patients who had taken longer term therapy. But none of that is a direct randomized comparison. Laura's run in the first trial that's really asking the question, how long should we go? The guidelines give use the evidence that's available. I think we give in the guidelines, I'll call a weaker recommendation and give some, um, uh, some credence to the individual practitioner to say, is this patient tolerating antithrombotic therapy? Um, have they had bleeding events? Can they continue to take it? Uh, do they have other reasons to want to take it, i.e., do they have multivessel coronary disease and diabetes? A lot of things come into play about when, when you decide to stop that therapy. And, and to that point then, Bob, um, recognizing that there's a need to study this, is, do you feel like there's a level, the, one thing about the excellent trial we can agree is that it's fairly consistent with most observational data, not suggesting that dual antiplatelet therapy is reducing the risks of very late stent thrombosis. In fact, in some of the trials, Laura, that you've been part of uh, as well, we're seeing at least half of the patients experiencing stent thrombosis very late after the first year on dual antiplatelet therapy uh, too. And so that your trial that we'll come to in a moment will really help uh, identify this. But you would agree then, Bob, that we're at a level of equipoise to study this issue? Oh, I, I, I've believed since uh, Barcelona 2006, we're in a level of equipoise that we should be studying this. I mean, what's astonished me is that we're all these years later and we still don't know the answer. I mean, we're still talking about it. And, and, and so we have a responsibility, I think, to contribute patients to these trials as well, because the common practice, Laura, from your observations probably is, well, you're on it, you're doing fine, just go ahead and stay on it. And that's probably not the, the best practice as well. Right, there's, um, there's incredible variation in practice. I mean, not just, um, not just across different countries of how long it's prescribed, um, but even within the United States, even, with, uh, even across different practice groups within the same city, um, you know, you see tremendous variation. And I think what we're seeing in the interventional community is there's a greater and greater understanding and comfort with, um, with the risks and how they vary over time. So for example, you know, we know that the highest risk of stent thrombosis is within the first 30 days. Mm -hmm. uh, we also know that, um, that, that the risk of stent thrombosis diminishes with time. And so for, I can tell my patients that if you make it to one, one year without having any problem in the stent, whether it's a restenosis or, or any other unusual event that might happen in the stent, um, that your risks of having it happen a year out or longer are much, much, much less. Um, and so what we're talking about really is trying to understand how we can prevent um, a really rare event, which is stent thrombosis. It's very possible, as you mentioned, that the rates are, of stent thrombosis beyond a year are going to be quite low, regardless of what kind of stent you get. Um, and that's one of the reasons that in, in the study that we're doing where we're randomizing patients who um, receive a stent to either continue medications beyond a year, thionipiridine beyond a year, or, or take a placebo. That's one of the reasons that we're also extremely interested in looking at the cardiac endpoints of 
uh, cardiac death, myocardial infarction, and, and stroke as powered endpoints to see if there's a benefit uh, that's more global than just dense. And I think that would help inform what we can convey to the patients too that there may not be a reduction in stent thrombosis, but we may, more, may be more broadly treating the patient, not the stent territory, by reducing outcomes of death NMI and, and possibly even stroke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say that I, I think that that last point, David, is a really important one. This particular trial, six versus 12 months, that may be really important. I mean, we were talking off camera that if you have a patient who has to have their hip replaced yeah. and you wanna put in a stent for you know, obstructive disease, to the, and you want to put in a DES, well, do you have to tell them they have to wait a year to get the hip replaced? Waiting six months is a lot more palatable if you have bad hip pain. So these may be the kind of results that we find ultimately very useful. But the more long-term question is if you have multivessel coronary disease or multivascular bed disease, might you be benefiting not from the stent thrombosis reduction, but the more global reduction in, you know, in MI, death, stroke, et cetera? Two last questions is uh, we, this during the session, we've actually seen a fairly good amount of new drug-eluting stent data. Um, maybe we call them next generation or near generation drug-eluting stents, but one of the issues is that we're seeing with uh, zotirolimus, everolimus eluting stents, composite one-year event rates on the order of three to three and a half percent. We're seeing stent thrombosis rates of 0.1 and 0.4 percent in fairly broad patient populations, and these are the lowest event rates that we've ever observed. Laura, might the duration of dual antiplatelet therapy differ according to the stent type? Gosh, it's gonna be very hard to distinguish that for sure. I think there's only, um, there's only one trial so far that's up and coming, I think, that may give us some answer to that. Of course, it's, it's looking at the zotirolimus eluting stent versus the throlimus eluting stent, and that's the PROTECT trial, which um, to run a trial like that, you need a really large sample size to look at differences in stent thrombosis rates. Um, and that's an 8,800 patient study that, um, that over the course of the next year, we should see the study results. And Bob, I'll share the same question with you, but on the pharmaceutical end, might the rates of very late stent thrombosis differ depending on a different type of P2Y12 inhibitor as we perhaps see more coming to the United States? Absolutely, and one of the challenges that this um, poses is how do we get enough information around different patients, different technology, different drugs? And my view is that the kind of trials that we're doing now are going to be um, inadequate to help us answer some of those questions. If you're talking about event rates that have a yearly incidence of one, two percent, you're, you're, you're telling yourself that what we need to do is have clinical trials which are exponential in size. Now, we can't do trials exponential in size if we do them the way we're doing them today. Yeah. But as we move towards an era of electronic health records, about data moving a lot more, um, the capability of putting data together a lot more readily than we can do today, and accepting to do trials differently, I really do believe that what we need to do in diseases that involve tens of millions of people is study them in tens if not hundreds of thousands of people, but not by the methods of today. This echoes uh, the words of our, of our colleague Rob Califf of doing the large simple trial, isn't it? Where we want to address one particular question perhaps in a, in a very efficient way, but um, maybe not all the sub-studies as well. Well, I remind people that in the, uh, we, we used to do this. If you go back to the 50s, uh, the polio vaccine trials were done this way. They involved hundreds of thousands of, uh, of people over the course of a year or two 
but the trials were very, very, very simple. Yeah. It's a real challenge because, um, you know, as you know, we're, especially as interventional cardiologists, we're, we're very interested in very specific outcomes. And while we can do these broad um, trials, and I think that we need to make all these studies larger and simpler, um, it's easy to do for an endpoint like mortality. It's difficult to do for an endpoint like stent thrombosis. And I think we forget that as we clamor for bioresorbable polymeric stents and bioresorbable stents that have the intuitive benefit of safety without proven to date, we're really forgetting about some of the simple ways we treat patients with antiplatelet therapy. So Bob, Laura, I want to thank you for today's discussion. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, thank you.